0: While it's been a good week for Purell, Clorox, and Charmin, the rest of the retail world has been on high alert as coronavirus continues to disrupt the status quo. Meanwhile, the American off-price department store Burlington is shutting down its e-commerce site to focus solely on brick and mortar. And this just in, Amazon will begin selling its Just Walk Out technology to its competitors. We've got the scoop and more. On today's episode, it's Monday, March 16th, and this is your Retail Rundown. Today, we're joined by Chris Ressa and Shep Hyken. Chris is the Chief Operating Officer at DLC Management Corporation, the national owner and operator of open-air shopping centers. Chris is also the host of the Retail Retold podcast. Shep is a customer experience expert and the Chief Amazement Officer of Shepard Presentations. Shep is a New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling author and has been inducted into the National Speakers Association Hall of Fame. Chris, Shep, thank you both for joining today.
1: Thank
2: you.
0: Really appreciate it. Thank you. The first bit of news we'll cover today is the coronavirus and its impact on the U.S. market. As of Monday, March 16th, there have been at least 3,400 cases in the United States and at least 65 people have died. President Trump declared the pandemic a national emergency last Friday, calling on retailers like CVS, Target and Walmart to assist with setting up scores of testing sites across the nation. In addition, dozens of events have been postponed, including this year's Facebook and Adobe Summits, Shop Talk, South by Southwest, and Coachella, while retailers like Apple, Adidas, Abercrombie, and Nike and Urban Outfitters have closed their stores for the next few weeks. Several states are closing bars and restaurants, gyms, and movie theaters, and Starbucks is temporarily only offering customers drive through and mobile pickup services. Shep, what are your thoughts on the pandemic? Do you have any advice for retailers?
1: Yesterday or two days ago, I was asked to say, what can stores in the retail world do, especially when they see a customer coming in, standing in the checkout line and coughing or sneezing? How should the employees react? So I made the comment about that. Number two, one of the things I see companies doing in all, not coronavirus specific, but anytime there's an economic difficulty. It could have been 9-11. It could have been the recession in 2008-9. Who knows what caused it? They tighten up and they tighten up in the wrong areas. Not in, in all of this, not to diminish the importance of any of this, but when you tighten up with customer facing where they're visual, where you can feel it, you can tighten up in other areas but don't, you know, especially in the retail stores, it may be like, well, are, now they're, all of a sudden the lines are longer. Why? We can't afford to have the employees. That is a place that people are going to notice. And guess what they're going to do the next time they walk by your store? They're going to remember the long line and they're not going to want to go in because they don't want to experience that friction. So, mm-hmm. I mean, those are the types of things I talk about. And that's what's going to happen today and tomorrow and next week as they see business shrinking. And they make the mistake of cutting in a place that's visibly easily seen by a customer.
0: Well, I wonder, what is your take on how retailers should react if they do have customers coughing up a storm in their store?
1: Well, first of all, if they're in the line, I think the customer in front and the back is probably going to help uh, manage that experience for you. <laughs> but they should have hand sanitizer stations, just a place where it's obvious and you walk in. Number one, that shows that the retailer is is actually thinking about it okay number 2 every employee should be armed with kleenex or tissue paper to be more generic and anytime they see somebody sneezing or coughing they should reach out and say hey why don't you use this okay and there's a nice way of saying it and they're ready to go and i think if others number 1 that gives the reminder cuz i think a lot of this is not that these customers are doing this on purpose but they need to be reminded hey be mindful of who, where you are and where you're around. Hey, why don't you use, here's a Kleenex so that you can cough into that or sneeze into that. If, and you just set up, make sure that everybody's equipped. Make sure you have hand sanitizers. Make sure there's a place to throw those tissues away because once they wipe their nose or cough into it, you don't want them handing it back to the employee going, here, now you deal with it.
0: Mm-hmm. I was in a store just yesterday and I saw people were piling their paper towel that they dried their hands with on top of the trash can because they didn't want to open it.
1: (laughs) So So you know what? You see that and the retailer says, oh, those people just aren't being very- Socially conscious or- Yeah, socially. Well, the reality is the store needs to set it up so they can be socially conscious and throw that away. It might be the investment of a $20 trash can that you put your hand over it and the door opens and you throw it in.
0: Right, it's the little things that add up during this time. Chris, do you have anything to add? From a
2: business perspective, I'm less concerned about the channel in which someone sells the goods, whether it's the store, a catalog or e-commerce. I am concerned about the supply chain at the moment right? and the effect on the supply chain, right? If you go on, I don't care if it's online to Amazon or in the store at Walmart or your local grocery store, there are supply challenges and they don't have the product that people need. Not everywhere, but there are places where the product isn't there. My my wife went to the grocery store this morning and they didn't have meat. They were very low on meat. Mm. So, you know, forget about that, just all the commodities that come from China.
0: Prescriptions.
2: And prescriptions. So I think the business impact and how do we deal with the supply chain challenges um, are the bigger concern for me because the channel in which you sell it. I believe that retailers, and I'm calling e-commerce retail as well, I believe that people who sell goods will find a way to get it to you and you get the money, whether that's in the store, digitally, what have you. I'm concerned is the product there.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think we'll see a lot of innovation potentially come out from this pandemic. I know Bill Gates made a statement and he said, Quote, obviously, billions of dollars for anti-pandemic efforts is a lot of money, but that's the scale of investment required to solve the problem. He also said, given the economic pain that the epidemic can impose, it's really a small price to pay. It's a bargain. I summarized the last part. But to your point, Chris, um, there's probably measures that we definitely need to be taking because the supply chain impacts are huge and there's no end in sight just yet. Yeah. We don't
1: know what's going to happen. This mm-hmm. is totally unknown. I don't know whether the turnaround they say that's happening in China, I don't know whether that's accurate or not. Assume it is. Maybe we'll see a ripple of effect of positive things happening. I think the fact that people are very conscious of what's going on right now is going to help the situation. I sure hope. I know I live in St. Louis, Missouri. And the one case that happened in St. Louis, Missouri, came as a result of a young woman who was, uh, I don't know if it was a semester abroad uh, over in Italy, but she came back and was tested positive. She goes home and the father of this daughter takes another daughter, this girl's sister, out to a father-daughter dance at a high school, basically shuts down the high school. And all the kids that are there are now told to be in quarantine. And some of the kids went and went to a party afterwards. And uh, my nephew was there. My nephew's now at 17 years old. He's quarantined in his home. The parents weren't allowed to go to the home for a while. So he's living in this nice home by himself. It's not much fun, believe me, taking courses online. Meanwhile, his brother was living with us and, you know, mom and dad are staying in a hotel. And so this is what happens when somebody's selfish, and says yeah i know they told me to stay home but i didn't and when i say they it was the doctor that told them to stay home Mm -hmm. so if you're sick and or if you feel uncomfortable not well for any reason whatsoever go home go to the doctor get tested don't be selfish and don't take the potential chance of spreading whatever it is that you have to others in the work area, and even uh, in a social environment and at home.
0: Absolutely. So after 20 years in the digital sphere, Burlington Stores is going offline. The American off-price retailer announced last week it would instead focus on growing its physical presence with plans to open a net 54 stores this year, adding to its existing 700 plus stores. During a recent earnings call, Burlington CEO Michael O'Sullivan said the nature of the treasure hunt gives its brick-and-mortar stores a significant significant competitive advantage over e-commerce. And here's an interesting piece of history for our listeners. Burlington Stores was the first off-price retailer to have a digital presence when it launched its e-commerce site in 1999. History aside, only 0.5% of Burlington sales come from its e-commerce channel, with the retailer's annual 8% top-line growth driven primarily by brick and mortar. So I wanted to ask you, uh, Chris, are Burlington's weak digital sales a good enough reason for them to completely abandon their e-commerce channel?
2: I want to give some context around it. So a few things that I think are important to take in consideration. So one, and quite candidly, little biased, Burlington Stores is a tenant of ours in the shopping centers we own. So we just opened one last fall in one of the shopping centers. They're a tenant of ours in Allen, Texas. And so important tenant in love uh burlington stores so i think a couple things one the three dominant off-price retailers that we read about today are the tjx brands burlington stores and ross Dress for less the ceo of burlington was the former coo of ross Dress for less and that's a recent hire And so ross does not have an e-commerce website so something to consider i think the other thing that when i think of this scenario is There is no doubt consumer shopping habits have changed. And I believe that you need both, you know, in general, in general, you need both uh, a physical and digital presence. And we're learning a lot that, you know, with a lot of retailers that one living without the other is not the best scenario. That said, outside of Amazon, I I don't know of one pure play e-commerce retailer that is making money. Not denying the the growth of e-commerce. E-commerce isn't a new thing. And the cost of entry, if you and I were to open up a t-shirt shop, uh, Shep, the cost of entry is cheap. The cost to scale, and it's cheaper than opening up a brick and mortar store. The cost to scale is a lot more money. I had a woman on my podcast, Retail Retold, Melissa Gonzalez, and she mentioned that typically the tipping point for a digitally only brand is about $10 million. At that point, they need a physical presence because if they don't, the supply chain is too hard. right? When you're shipping stuff at $10 million, you're at about a point when you're shipping stuff nationally, $10 million of revenue. And to do that, right? she can't order four shirts and return three and you charge no shipping. Given the millions of e-commerce brands that are opening up online stores. It's very busy. Customer acquisition costs are growing exponentially. So it's cost a lot to get the customer. It's very expensive, the lifetime value of that customer, given the shipping. And right now the economics are do not make sense for digital only. And so I think when you're looking at it, at some point that has to come to roost. At some point, there's no doubt they're gobbling up market share, but at some point, A lot of these companies that are really pure play e-commerce, you eventually have to make money. And I don't know what that date is, but yet the consumers changed and they want to be able, they want it convenient and they want it yesterday and they want it now. There's no doubt, but to service that need has to be profitable. And no one has really figured that out yet. You know, when you're only at 0.5% of the sales, or brick and mortar and it is a really tough place to make a profit, there's probably something to be said for dialing in and focusing on what's actually making money. There is no doubt that e-commerce is here to stay and it's growing and somebody's gonna figure out how to make money with it and there's no doubt that um, there's a lot of retailers who the answer has been omnichannel whether it's the digitally native brands that have opened up brick and mortars or the brick and mortar brands that have opened up e-commerce sites. There's actually a significant amount of brick and mortar brands that when they open a store in a market, their online sales increase in that market. When they close a store in a market, their online sales decrease in that market. So there's a lot of brands that that happens to. Uh, Clearly uh, Burlington didn't see that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think there's something to be said that, While forward thinking is important, and we don't want everyone to live quarter by quarter and making CapEx investments over the long haul are important, there's something to be said in a place where you're deploying capital to a a place that's just, there's there's nothing, nowhere in sight that shows a profit.
0: So it sounds like Chris, you are in favor of the move. It's not for everyone, but for Burlington, it seems to be a smart play. Do you agree, Shep?
1: To a degree, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I believe that uh, Burlington sales of 0.5, basically a half a percent is digital sales. There are certain businesses where brick and mortar makes complete sense. Uh, However, I think a digital presence doesn't necessarily mean you've got to be, it's not about making a profit. It's not about even making a sale. It's about having a digital presence. It's part of your advertising and marketing. It's about being where people are and if nothing else to give them the direction that they need to do business with a company like Burlington, getting totally generic. If I were to be a true brick and mortar retailer and I turn my back on the digital world, I think that's making a mistake. If nothing else to have but a But Chef, have they said
2: they're doing that? That's not
1: no, what I've heard. No, I don't think they're turning their back to it completely. Uh, but my understanding is they're basically shutting down the ability to buy online. Is that right, Julia?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. They said uh, the cost of engaging in e-commerce was a concern. And their CEO said it's very difficult um, balancing an average price of twelve dollars per unit in its stores against the cost of merchandising, processing, shipping, and accepting returns. And,
1: and essentially, here's what's happening: We're telling our customers, "Look, well, you know, we don't want to raise our prices on you. So, if you want to do business with us, this is the way to do it." And I think the customers have already reacted as, from the historical standpoint, that. 99.5% of the customers are walking in a store. So when you go to a company like a Burlington or a retailer like a Burlington, oftentimes you go there because merchandise is constantly changing. And that's very difficult to manage online when, I mean, how quickly do we get to manage the inventory the way we do? So customer might see it come back 10 minutes later, it's already gone. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now we've upset that customer. I mean, I look at things of what could potentially happen to disappoint a customer. That's my whole world is customer service and experience. And I see the management of inventory. It could be done very, very well, but the dissatisfaction the customer might have when they come back 15 minutes later, when they want to you know, show somebody at home what they're getting ready to buy and they come back and it's already gone can be extremely frustrating. That said, we can teach our customers how to do business with us in the best way. There's a reason that Amazon is getting into brick and mortar, because they recognize the opportunity to get a, a place in the community and further cement the relationship they have with their customers. I, yeah, believe-
2: I, I would also mention that on Amazon that it took, I think, 20, I don't know, don't call me exactly, for them to make money on the profit they kept growing market share and I think they got held to a different standard than the rest of the market will be held to and then the, a majority of their profit at the time was from AWS and then right. there, there are still people out there who don't believe they make money on selling goods sometimes it's hard to tell but I've heard that it's you know it took them 20 years to make a profit and I, I don't know the specifics but the, the point that I would make is that it took them a very long time. And I don't think the markets are going to be as friendly, especially in a recession when capital's tight.
0: And before we jump into Amazon, I just wanted to ask you both because it seems like there's a huge sweet spot right now for those retailers that are leveraging the, the treasure hunt experience or mentality for their, their stores. And that's where Burlington is seeing You know the best returns is it something where maybe this type of retailer does not belong online because i know tj maxx has a website they've put probably don't quote me on this probably millions into their tv commercials and the media coverage but personally i have been on the website i've never purchased anything i always just decide to go in
1: but you know what? You decide to go in. So you're spending money with them regardless. And I think they right. like that. And part of your marketing and customer experience strategy is you appear to give people what they want, or you have a presence. If the treasure hunt is an exciting move for some customers, they like that. And maybe there's not as much of a hunt online. So maybe online it's staples that they're selling. You know, I say staples, not not like with a staple. Commodities. Commodities <laughs> Toilet paper, saying. hand Toilet. Sanitizer. But yeah, yeah, but it's it's the things that they know they're always going to have and that you can get those through there. But then, you know, hey, let's let's give them a glimpse and an insight of what you could get when you go to the store and you drive people to the store. That's just one way of doing it. And I know there's so many different retail models out there. I just read a great article just the other day that the importance of looking at all your metrics, not just of your own companies but of the industries, to better understand where you might need to be, you might need to have a presence you don 't necessarily have to sink millions of dollars into a website and an e commerce solution, but I think having a presence and teaching people and I'm, I know I, I said this earlier teaching people on how to do business with you is important. By the way, that's what the airlines did when they said, we don't want you to call us and make reservations anymore. We want you to go online. They taught their consumer to do that. We need to do the same thing with our retail consumers. One thing I will say that
2: I, I totally agree with that Shep said is you need to be where the consumer is. And there's no doubt the consumer's on their phone all day. And so you do need to be visible to the consumer What you do with that, I think, is dependent on your brand, what you sell, because there are a significant amount of retailers and tenants of mine that have been successful in, you know, the e-commerce, brick and mortar combination, omni-channel, harmonious retailing, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And so I think you need to be where they are. And I think that was a point that Shep made is wherever they're going to be, you need to be visible to them. I think to your point on the treasure hunt for me, and they don't even announce this, but I, I think it's more than the treasure hunt. I see a couple of years ago, I was saying that you needed to have, you know, the successful guys were either having a value proposition, they were convenient and, or they had some sort of experience. And today the successful retailers have all three, and, and that's what the off pricers have, right? They provide a value proposition. It's cheaper than most places for a fashionable brand named good. They have the treasure hunt experience where you come to the stores and you don't know what you're going to find. You might find some, my wife might find some one of a kind piece at home goods that she loves. And they are convenient, right? They're front and center in open air strip centers. They're not buried in an enclosed mall somewhere. And so they're hitting it on all cylinders of what the consumer wants right now. They want it convenient. They want a value. They want an experience. And that's what Ross and Burlington and TJX and in the South Bell's Outlet, that's what these off price retailers are doing exceedingly well.
0: So, are you saying? you potentially have changed your, your mind on whether or not it's a good move for them to back away from e-commerce or are you still thinking that it's, it's fine?
2: I don't think it's one size fits all. I think that to Shep's point, if it was only 0.5% of their sales and it was a bad place when capital's finite and there's mm-hmm. only so many places you could deploy capital that produces a return for your, uh, your shareholders, your employees and whomever you're producing return for, and then it's, you know, money goes where it's treated best. And so if it's best in the brick and mortar and they're losing an, on such a small portion of their business, right? If they were at the growing rate of some other retailers where 10, 15, 20% of their business and they were having compound growth every year online, that might be different. It might be time well spent to say, how do we profit off this? But that's not what they had. And so it's just like Ross doesn't have an e commerce site it's probably a good move for them. TJX has it. And for whatever reasons, it's probably good for that move for them to have it. So I think, I don't think it's one size fits all. And I keep harping on the fact that the economics of the e-commerce are are not good right now. And so they're exciting because they're growing market share, whether it's e-commerce only, but there's there's a reason that a lot of these successful digitally native brands like Untuckit and Warby Parker that aren't in the off-price treasure hunt category, but Purple Mattress Casper have opened up a significant amount of brick-and-mortar locations. It is really challenging to do do this online only.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Chris, Shep, I loved both of your points. I think there uh, this topic is specifically one where we'd see a lot of people with different opinions because it's not often in in today's age where you see retailer pull e-commerce, but maybe they'll come back in a few years and and have a solution for that. Or maybe it's just not the right fit and it's a
1: good move. Pulling e-commerce is one thing. Eliminating your digital presence is another. And totally let's, agree. let's not uh, confuse that. They are two Great. separate things. I think you're still going to be able to go online and look at a Burlington website and learn who they are. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, they will teach us how to do business with them.
0: Picking back up on Amazon, they are the third retailer we'll cover today today. So just days after opening its first checkout list grocery store in Seattle, Amazon announced it will share its Go technology with rivals. So they'll begin licensing the Just Walk Out system to retailers wishing to test checkout-free concepts on their own. And the package will include smart shelf sensors, ceiling cameras, a branded turnstile, as well as access to round-the-clock support via email and phone. And instead of linking to an Amazon account, Shoppers who enter a Just Walkout-enabled store will do so using a credit card and will not be required to download an app. A spokesperson for Amazon says the company will be responsible for installing the tech and has already signed several deals to date.
1: I'll go ahead and jump in on this. I, yeah. I love the idea that Amazon has another technology that they've come up with, and they are now going to. And when I first saw the article that said Amazon sells its walkout technology or whatever the title was, I thought... Are they getting out of this? No, what they're doing is saying we're going to use it and we're gonna keep making it better and better and you as a company, another retailer, if you wanna do it, you can have it too. And now they're just like they always do. What's the most, one of the most profitable businesses to be in? The subscription business.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: they're selling subscriptions, even though there's hardware involved. Back
0: to their core, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're,
1: they're selling, you know, lease it for a year, or month to month, whatever you want to call it. It's a subscription model. Ongoing, recurring revenue, for Amazon and they're sharing a technology that by the way, a competitor is surely to try to copy and emulate if -hmm. they don't get it out there first.
2: Yeah, I I think uh, it's interesting. The thing that I do admire about Amazon is they are unscared to try things, be innovative. If it doesn't work, they stop, but they deploy capital and they taste things all the time. And they try to see what works and what doesn't. And when something works, they step on the gas pedal, right? Prime at one point was a test. It started to work. They pushed the pedal to the metal. And now there's millions and millions of prime meters. This is something that they think is working. And they're starting to put on the gas pedal here. And they think they've found a solution to really scale it. And they're really, really good at that. I think Walmart's good at it as well. They taste and they try things all the time. And I think that's why those two are, you know, so successful today. And that's one of the things I admire. I think that it's interesting, you know, obviously the big thing is like you're giving away your trade secrets to competitors. I just don't think they look at it that way.
0: I would say it's a smart move and back to Shep's point earlier, you said the airlines taught consumers that they needed to move online to book their flights. I also thought this reminds me of, of the barcode, which apparently took 20 years for retailers to finally mass adapt. And the first one was used just 45 years ago in social media, even social media influencers um, with Pinterest, with Facebook, with all those platforms, Instagram, now influencing how we buy or choose to buy. So is this something you think will catch on quickly? Or is this another barcode type of deal where it's going to take 20 years for us to see this in most grocery stores?
1: So uh, the barcode thing, I think, started out, It's it was an internal focus for the retailer. This idea of walking in, scanning something off of your phone so they know you're in the store, picking up whatever it is and walking out, I mean, that's an oversimplification of it all. But this is what customers want. They want convenience. I mean, I wrote an entire book about companies like Amazon, like Walmart, being convenient to their customer. And all things being equal, if there's two stores side by side that sell the exact same merchandise and even have friendly people, the one that's easier to do business with, as in more convenient, that I don't have to wait in line at this store, but I do in the other, guess who's gonna win? convenience is going to win. And that's what Amazon is providing, the retail world with another way to create a better convenient experience for their customers.
2: Yeah, I think that this will definitely be implemented. I think technology like this is here to stay. I lean more toward that because of the cost and the size to get to scale. I think it'll take the time that it took the barcode to take off. I think it'll take that amount of time, less because consumers want it, more because of the cost to implement this. No different than I think people, I think self-driving cars are growing in popularity, but the the infrastructure to, to do that is going to take time. I think the same thing, probably faster than I think, but I think it'll take time because of the infrastructure and to get the understanding of how to operate a store with cashierless people, right? That's unique even to the best of merchants. So I agree with Shep on the convenience. I also, if it took consumers 20 years on the barcode, I think it'll take a long time here.
1: I don't think it'll take quite as long. I, I mean, I'll agree to disagree. But uh, the point on that is it's like Moore's law where the microchip just doubles in speed and capability every so often. I think we're in a mode of transition with technology that customers are embracing. And I think the cost of these technologies is dramatically reduced. It wasn't that long ago that a computer was so large and expensive that it couldn't fit in your hip pocket, your purse, or your you know briefcase. Today, I mean, we're carrying around computing power that's unbelievable. And just compared to a few years ago, the use of apps Look just how it's just exponentially growing. Granted, this is a hardware capital expense that companies are going to have to invest in. Retailers will have to invest in. But I think the cost is going to come down quite a bit. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, I believe I read it was a minimum of a million, million investment for the, the Amazon Go convenience stores.
2: Even if that cuts in half, right, you know, you drop it 50% and you have a 1,000 stores, that's a big deal.
1: Well, artificial intelligence, the cost of an AI capability five years ago was so expensive where today, a small company like myself, I can go over and have a programmer and a company come in and they can subscription model for a few hundred dollars a month. All of a sudden, I've got a basic ability to do a chat bot online with my customers. Granted, it's not true, like IBM's Watson. Okay. But it's definitely not the entry level that it was just a couple of years ago. It's somewhere in between. (laughs) Totally. I
2: I think we're going to get to a point where I can go in my fridge and I can type in the things I want and it's going to show up in my fridge. I I think that'll happen one day. I just think it's going to be a long time.
1: And I. by the way, I don't think you're going to have to even open your fridge and type anything in. I think there's (laughs) going to be a sensor that says he's getting low on milk. Let's send him milk.
0: Mm -hmm. And Walmart's working on that, right, with their automated pantry patent, which I I think is still pending. But I don't want to get open a can of worms, but I do want to throw out there privacy. Is there any risk here? I mean, Amazon already owns so much data, And now with retailers implementing the store that's tracking, I mean, we're already on camera all the time, right? And we don't realize it. But is that a concern that they will own all of the data if retailers don't come up with their own proprietary solutions?
1: You know, the data is there. It's going to be shared. Uh, Maybe not all of it, but a lot of it is. Hey, I have the philosophy that stick a chip in my neck. And if it makes my life better, people companies, retailers, whatever, send me what I'm supposed to get so my life gets better. If you abuse it, I I should have the ability to disconnect. If you abuse it from a legal level, you should be sanctioned and it should be a big deal. So I think if we put enough penalties in place that this data issue will resolve itself.
2: Yeah, I I don't have an opinion on on the legal front, uh, but it feels that the American consumer has spoken and the majority are willing to sacrifice privacy for value convenience. It feels right. That's, that's what we're doing every day, right? In order for people to get it to you cheaper for order for them to get it to you more quicker. And you need, you need to sacrifice, even on a, a small level, you have to sacrifice your home address to get delivery. You know, you walk into a, a brick and mortar retailer, they're getting your, email, you will sign up for a loyalty program. They know everything about you. You're people are willing. That's the trade that we're making there. You're giving data. I think people have made the change. The dollars become so important. People have made the trade. If I give you data, you're giving me value. It's actually dollars in my pocket. I don't know how to quantify it. Maybe on Starbucks, it's my free drink that I get after a certain amount of points, but people have seemingly made the trade to give data for value. Mm
0: -hmm. I don't think that's going anywhere.
1: And people are willing to pay money on top of giving the data away. I mean, Amazon Prime, going back to Amazon, we pay a fee to subscribe to the Prime program. It's a membership program, a subscription program, whatever you want to call it. And then we give them the information so they can make our lives better. And we want them to, but cross the line. And by the way, we don't know. uh, The line is different for you, Julia and Chris, than it might be for me. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. (laughs) At one point, Target did something pretty cool. They said, hey, we want to send you relevant marketing pieces, PR pieces, whatever. So what don't you want from us? Nike's loyalty program or membership program, I don't I don't want to use the wrong terminology, but it's not about you joining something to get a discount after you buy nine pairs of shoes, the tenth one's free. No, it's about joining a program that gets you information about the latest and greatest of what you're interested in. If I'm into running shoes, they're not going to send me information on soccer shoes. They know better than that. But they know if I'm buying, and they do know that I'm buying, they may know exactly the type of shoe I'm interested in, and they may give me insight as to what's coming up to get me excited or let me buy a month before everybody else gets to buy. So that's what they're using with the data. And I think if they use it right, it's a win-win situation.
0: And Nike's an excellent case study, what they're doing with their brand story and and making big waves, pulling it away from Amazon, opening the House of Innovation in New York is beautiful. You can pay however you want, interact however much you want. So it's amazing. Chris, Shep, it's been wonderful having you both on the show today. Really quickly, Chris, where can our listeners go if they'd like to hear your podcast?
2: At DLC, we do have a podcast. It's called Retail Retold. It's the story of how that store ended up on your neighborhood. So we bring on retail influencers and people are like, often say at the dinner table you know they put Starbucks over there and on our podcast we bring you who they is and how it happened
0: And Shep, did you have any updates on your books or where listeners can purchase them?
1: Well, I also have a podcast. It's called Amazing Business Radio that's focused on customer service and experience. And we bring all kinds of great people on board. Have a TV show called Be Amazing or Go Home. It's available on Amazon Prime to bring up Amazon again, Roku, Apple TV, basically all the over-top networks as well as YouTube. And finally, my latest book, which is due out, March 17th. This is a book called The Cult of the Customer. It's a revised and updated edition of a book that I wrote about 11 or 12 years ago. And it's all about taking customers through the five phases or cults they go through to get to the ultimate cult, the cult of amazement. So it's called The Cult of the Customer. It comes out. Please, everybody, buy one. Buy one for your friends, neighbors, family members. Call today. Don't delay.
0: Call today. Don't delay. I love it. Everybody needs one. I like that. (laughs) Well, thank you, Chris. Shep, it was wonderful having you. thank you.
1: Thanks for having me. Thank
0: you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast.